Scripture reading is from 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 7. It's found on page 810 in your pew Bibles. First Corinthians seven verses seventeen to twenty four. Verse seventeen. Nevertheless, each one should retain the place in life that the Lord assigned to him and to which God has called him. This is the rule I lay down in all the churches. Was a man already circumcised when he was called? he should not become uncircumcised. Was a man uncircumcised when he was called? He should not be circumcised. Circumcision is nothing, and uncircumcision is nothing. Keeping God's command is what counts. Each one should remain in the situation which he was in when God called him. Were you a slave when you were called? Don't let it trouble you. Although, if you can gain your freedom, do so. For he who was a slave when he was called by the Lord is the Lord's freedman. Similarly, he who was a free man when he was called is Christ's slave. You are bought at a price. Do not become slaves of men. Brothers, each man, as responsible to God, should remain in the situation God called him to. May God bless the reading of his word. So as I mentioned a little while ago, and as we've reflected over the last, say, the last month with this sermon series, the leadership of EML Corps has been strategizing together as a congregation to what can we give our attention, what can be our, our focus as we grow together, as we serve God together and individually. How can we unite as a congregation to make a difference for Jesus in our community, in our nation, and to maybe some small extent in the larger world. And so we've fastened on this notion of using our vocations to serve God and to serve others. And periodically over the next few years, we'll have sermon series on different ways people in our congregation and different ways in theory we can serve God through a vocation. We'll have uh, study groups formed, uh, initially generic study groups, and then perhaps uh, vocation-specific study groups. You know, basically, for, by way of illustration, here's the question. Let's say you're an accountant. Uh, apart from giving up accountancy to join vocational Christian ministry, as Pastor David did, if you're an accountant, what difference does it make that you're a Christian accountant? Uh, not just a Christian who is an accountant, but a Christian, as you do your accounting. What difference does it make if you're a Christian engaged in accounting versus not a Christian in accounting? And how can you use your career as an accountant, your vocation as an accountant, to advance the cause of Christ and to serve other people? You could ask the same question for engineers or for school teachers. For medical professionals? You can ask the same question for refuse disposal. You can ask the same question for any honest profession. How can we use our professions 
to serve God and to serve others. You know, the basic premise is this. God calls us to worship and serve him, not just one day a week on Sunday, but all through the week. So how can we more explicitly, concretely do that? Now, we'll be exploring this together. It's new territory for us. You know, the Reformers, as Dick mentioned, Luther gave thought to it. Calvin gave thought to it. The early Reformers in the 1600s gave thought to it. Uh, Christians have given thought to it periodically. But it's still something we need to keep coming back to and we need to develop further. How can we be Christians in our vocations and advance the cause of Christ? and advance the welfare of other people through our vocations. So currently we have a, we've articulated this as a congregational focus. This will be revised, but this is this current draft. Our congregational focus. We will serve Christ through our vocations such that within five years, and here's some matrix by which tentatively we'll measure this. Here's some ways to serve Christ through vocation and some matrix by which we'll measure it. First, that five members will be in the process of entering vocational Christian ministry. We've seen this in our congregation over the last few years, particularly over the last decade. Eric and May, Jason and Ella, before them David and Jackie. Entering vocational Christian ministry is one way, the most obvious, the most transparent way, perhaps. But notice the number we're looking for is relatively modest, five members. Because this is not the major stream that we'd expect to develop. A second way to use our vocations to serve Christ. We're looking for five families who will relocate their jobs to serve as international witnesses in underserved areas of the world. Now we've heard how Dorothy, and she didn't relocate, she located her job as a way to serve the underserved. And we can do that in this country. But many vocations are grossly underrepresented overseas. And working overseas in those vocations gives an opportunity to influence people for the gospel. And so we, have, we prayed today for Lee and Diana, who were quite intentional and explicit. You know, Lee had a profession, and he decided to take that profession, go back to East Asia, and serve so that he could influence people for Christ through his vocation. We'll be looking thirdly for college students to pledge their careers to Christ. This does not necessarily mean pledge their career to vocational Christian ministry, but to ask the question, given my skills, given the needs in the world, how can I match these together so that I can, my entire career will be spent intentionally using my skills and my training to serve the needs of the world and to represent Christ to that world. And this final fourth illustration of the same goal is that all of us, and not really just a hundred, but at least a hundred, hundred of us should be able to articulate precisely, you know, how is God currently using me in my vocation, at my workplace, through my field, in the course of my livelihood? How is God using me to advance the cause of Christ, to help other people, either through my job, through my career, through my relationships with colleagues, through the money I earn, through the companies I work in, through the field I'm in. How is God using me for his purposes? This is what we'll be aiming for 
over the next five years together. It's one of the core things we'll be doing together. Now, in this first sermon series, to support that, what we've been looking at is a conceptual framework. Sometimes people want to get right to the nitty-gritty of practice, and I understand that. We've been illustrating it with these uh, sharings from different members of the congregation about how they're doing it concretely in their livelihoods. At the same time, you know, while practice is important, what we think also influences what we do. And so we want to lay out in this first sermon series a conceptual framework for understanding vocation and its use in the work of God. And so we looked a few weeks ago at Genesis 1 and 2. And Genesis 1 and 2 illustrates one central idea. If you want to look at who we are as God's creatures, if you look at Genesis 1 and 2, it gives us the most important information about us. It tells us that we're made by God. It tells us that God put us in the midst of this environment and to care for the environment. So it tells us about our spiritual life. It also advocates environmentalism. These are two of the most important things we should know about ourselves. We were created by God, and he put us in this environment to tend for it, to care for it. He called us into relationship. He created us, man and woman, for each other. Now, we know this intuitively, but Scripture confirms it that one of the most important things he can say about us is most of us will want to get married because that's the way we're created. We may not all end up married, but most of us, I mean, this is the way we're designed. What can God tell us about us? That we're created, that we're in an environment that we should care for, that we're dependent on, and we've been asked to look after, that we have a heart to get married. God tells us about our hearts and our lives together. Notably, one of those other things he tells us, one of the four most important things we learn about us as human beings from Genesis 1 to 2 is this. God has created us to work. I mean, when you're thinking about what's the most important things God could lay out for us at the very beginning, what's crucial, what's core, what should we know about ourselves? I would not have thought to put work on that list. Sure, family, yeah, that makes sense. God, that makes sense. Maybe environment, I only realized since my son became an environmentalist, yeah, that's on the list. But work. Work is not just something we do to survive. You know, that's how we easily can see work as, you know, that the thing that breaks up the weekend. You know, the weekend is what I live for, and, and the five days in between, they give me the money to live for the weekend and, and the, for the vacation every year. But what Genesis 1 and 2 tells us is that no, 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 no. We are created for work. It brings purpose and continuity to our lives. And so it tells us we must ask this question. How does my work advance the cause of God? How does my work serve others? How can I honor God, not just when I worship on Sunday, but when I go to work Monday through Friday? Now, sometimes we'll, people will leave their jobs for vocational ministry. Sometimes they'll keep the job but relocate to underserved areas. Sometimes what they'll do is they'll use what the job provides as a volunteer. But the question always becomes, a, a crucial question, Genesis 1 and 2. How can we use our vocations to serve and honor God and others? And then we saw just a couple of weeks ago from Genesis 3, the, the second crucial lesson to know about our work. 
And you already know this. It's burned on your conscience. It's, every Monday morning you know this. Every Sunday night you think about it. Work has aspects to it that are downright miserable. You know. I've, I had a friend who took early retirement in his 50s. And people said, oh, he said, Monday must be great. And he said, no, 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 no. What's great is Sunday night. Because I don't have to sit there thinking, oh, man, in the morning I'm going to get up and go to work again. Now, some of you may have jobs that you love. And some of you who are in school may just love going and not just hanging out with your friends or playing sports, but actually learning stuff at school. But most of us recognize immediately that there are some aspects of our jobs or of school that are fallen. And Genesis 3 acknowledges this. Now, how will this impact? How does Genesis 3 impact how we approach our jobs? Just one concrete way. You know, there is this common saying, do a job you love and you'll never work a day in your life. I don't think so. Maybe Genesis 1 and 2, that's true. But by the time we get to Genesis 3, no, no. I think even if you do a job you love, and I've done jobs that I love. I directed my career so I could do something I loved. But there are days I don't love. There are days when it's slog and hard work. So I think that's unrealistic. But it does something else. It provides us another question. Not just... How does my work contribute to the work of God? But how can I use my place at my place of employment to redeem this, this company, this field, my colleagues? How can I use my position there, my time there, to redeem the effects of the fall on these people that I care about, that I'm surrounded by, on this field? So it gives us another opportunity. Work is a gift from God. Work is fallen. Now the third major point I would make from Scripture about work comes today in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, 17 to 24. Now we catch Paul in the middle of his argument. And we don't have time to explore the entire argument. And the core of his argument is really about marriage. But to make a point about marriage, he makes a point about vocation. So turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 17 to 24. And the central point here is to ask, what actually is our vocation? Notice how we've articulated the congregational focus. We will serve Christ through our vocations. Now there's a little curiosity with that word vocation. What do we mean by vocation? My vocation is my job. Maybe I'm an accountant. Maybe I'm an engineer. Maybe I'm a nurse or a PA. Maybe I'm a, mm, I don't know, a plumber or a painter. We mean by vocation. But that's not the original meaning of vocation. It's not our job. That's not the original meaning. In fact, we've distorted, we've kind of reversed the meaning. Ironically, we use vocation in a way opposite to what it originally intended. And so what we want to look at today is how, what is our real vocation? Our real vocation is not the job we do. You could argue that's the context in which we apply our vocation. But our real vocation is not our field, 
It's not our jobs. It's not our company. By vocation, if you're a Christian, by vocation, you are not an engineer first and foremost. Your vocation, if you're a Christian, you are not a school teacher first and foremost. You're not an accountant. You're not in finance first and foremost. That is not your primary vocation as a Christian. Turn with me, page 810 in your Bible, Pew Bible, and we'll see how Paul uses the concept of vocation. You see, the word vocation in English really comes from a Latin, and it's, the original meaning of the word is calling. If you are a Christian, what is your primary calling? It's not accountancy. It's not law. It's not medicine. It's not engineering. Your primary calling, Paul explains here. Verse 20, 1 Corinthians 7. Each one should remain in the situation when he was in when God called him. Were you a slave when you were called? Don't let it trouble you. Although if you can gain your freedom, do so. For the one who was a slave when he was called by the Lord is the Lord's freeman. Similarly, he who was a freeman when he was called is Christ's slave. You were bought at a price. Do not become slaves of men. Brothers and sisters, each one, as responsible to God, should remain in the situation God called him to. Now, there's a little, there's a couple of wrinkles in this translation in the NIV here. Now, the NIV is generally an excellent translation, et cetera, et cetera. So, so we have to clean it up a little bit here. But it's generally a good, reliable translation. Now, sometimes it's a little bit off because the last people to touch it were not the people who translate from the Greek. They were the people who clean up the English. And sometimes in cleaning up the English, they made a few kind of, they messed up a few details. Sometimes it's a little bit off. Just because when they're translating, the Greek translators, you know, they're in a, they got a certain amount of work to do and a certain amount of time, and they don't have a lot of time to spend in, in, in detailed study. So commentators who do have time to spend time in this study would agree that this needs to be cleaned up a little bit. And it needs to be cleaned up in, in two ways. Notice the preposition in, in, let's say, verse 24. Brothers, each man is responsible to God, should remain in the situation God called him to. No, no, no. Probably should be, the last word should be in. Brothers, each man is responsible to God, should remain in the situation God called him in. The reason it's important is this. God typically, this text does not say that God calls us to engineering, or God calls us to health care, or God calls us to finance, or God calls us to environmentalism, or, or God calls us to whatever particular job we're in, IT. Uh, the text isn't saying that God calls us to that. That may be our secondary calling, but it's not our primary calling. God calls us in that situation. He does not necessarily, typically, call us to that situation. Now, there's another thing we need to clean up in the translation. Take a look at verse 20. Each one should remain in the situation which he was in when God called him. 
Well, actually, this misses an important pun that Paul's making. But what Paul wrote, really wrote was this. Each one should remain in the calling which he was in when God called him. Each one should remain in the calling he was in when God called him. So notice, there's a primary use of call here and there's a secondary use of call here. Primary. Verse 20, God called him. Or verse 17, each one should retain the place in life that the Lord assigned to them and, and in which God has called them. That's the primary calling. Was a man already circumcised when he was called? He should not become uncircumcised. Was a man uncircumcised when he was called? He should not become circumcised. Verse 20, each one should remain in the situation, no, in the calling which he was in when God called him. Were you a slave when you were called? Verse 22, for the man who was a slave when he was called by the Lord is the Lord's freeman. Verse 22b, he was a freeman when he was called. You see, called, 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 repeatedly called. What he's referring to here is the call to faith. The call to conversion. The, the invitation to become believers. This is our primary calling. That, that God comes into our lives. It's not just an evangelist who preaches the gospel or a friend who shares to us. But, but, but somebody shares the gospel with us. Or we hear scripture, we read scripture. And God comes to our minds and to our hearts. And he summons us. He invites us. He calls us to faith. He calls us to follow him, to serve him, to love him. This is our primary calling. And, and this is our primary vocation, to love and serve God, wherever we are. At the same time, we have a secondary calling, but it's only a secondary calling. And so that's what he's referring to in verse 20. Each one should remain in the calling he was in when God called him. A primary sense, what our calling is this, to be dedicated, sold out, serving God, whatever context, at, at our jobs, in our homes, in our neighborhoods, in our lives. Our primary calling, our primary vocation is to serve God. In a secondary sense, though, that job that we have, that workplace that we have, that social, not just those, that social status that we have, that marital status that we have. These are also God's calling for us in a secondary, subordinate sense. And Paul illustrates his point about, he's making a point about marriage, but then he illustrates it also about social status. These things are part of our calling. He also makes the point about ethnicity. We are called while Caucasian or Chinese or whatever. We are called in these contexts. We are called whether Jew or Gentile. We are called whether slave or free man, whatever our vocation. We are called in those contexts. It's not our primary calling, but it's still a venue through which we exercise our primary calling. So what's this point in all of this? Whatever we do for a living, whatever our work, whatever we usually call vocation, this is a secondary feature of our lives, not a primary feature. The primary feature is this. We are called 
our primary vocation is to serve God and to love God and to know God. This is the primary use of the term in history. It's the primary use of the term in Scripture. Our use of the word vocation came from Christianity. And this is its primary focus. God calls us. He summons us. He invites us to faith and to service. But then there's a secondary use. What we, how we live as a family, whether we're married or single, this is part of our calling, a secondary sense. What we do for a living, this is part of our calling. What race we are, this is part of our calling. What socioeconomic status we are, this is part of our calling. And we use our primary calling. We pursue our primary calling in the context of this secondary calling. And so the question becomes, how can I fulfill my primary calling most effectively within the context of my secondary callings? And so Paul turns particularly to the socioeconomic status in verses 21 to 24, particularly to a painful part of life. He says, look, if you're a slave, now, slavery in the first century probably wasn't as barbaric as slavery in the 19th century America. But still, you could have a gracious, wealthy master who gave you a lot of responsibility and a lot of status, and you could live well. But still, your life was not your own. You were still property. You could still be subject to abuse. You could be sold to a master who was not as generous. You may one day have your freedom, but you didn't have your freedom as a slave. And Paul says to those who suffer in their vocation, and he says, were you a slave when you were called? Don't let it trouble you. I mean, if you can gain your freedom, do so. But look, this is not the primary reality in your life. The primary reality in your life is not that you're a slave. What's the primary reality? One who is, was a slave when he was called by the Lord is the Lord's free man. Your primary reality is your relationship with Christ and the status you have in Christ. So if your profession is low, he tells the slaves, don't sweat it. Your primary identity is in Christ. And he says to those who are free in verse 22, if your status is high, your socioeconomic status, your vocational status, if you have a prestigious job or, or, or you have a high social standing, don't take pride in it. Because... He who is a free man when he was called is Christ's slave. You see, the primary reality in our lives is still our identity in Christ. For those without worldly honor and glory, they have glory in Christ. For those with worldly honor and glory and status, we are slaves of Christ. What really defines us, Paul says, primarily, our true vocation is our identity in Christ. And the question becomes, how can we play out that identity in Christ in our secondary callings, and our secondary vocations? Now, I'm going to shift into looking at the application of what this means concretely. But just before we shift into that, Dick and you and I have been having some conversations about what this looks like for him. And I've asked him to come forward and share a second time, more briefly this time, about how the calling in Christ affects the pursuit of his own secondary vocational calling. I, I have spoken uh, uh, a bit earlier, so I will be very short. 
Um, I was uh, sharing with Chuck about some of the things um, I started to thinking about because I've been in this job for many years. So as I enter into older life, actually old life, uh, and realizing um, the limited and ever-decreasing time and strength and health that is probably left in me, I begin to think more deeply about the bigger question of um, eternal meaning and purpose and substance. Um, many of my professional work, I think many of our professional works, uh, take on a lesser and lesser importance uh, as you start thinking about these bigger purpose and meanings. Um, I have no grand or unrealistic um, illusions about the significance of my scientific work, uh, N plus one papers or projects, when N is a bigger number, um, becomes less meaningful. Uh, I think this sort of curse of the big N also applies to possessions. Uh, we have already been amply blessed and are way beyond sufficient. So adding one more doesn't make as much difference as it felt when you were younger. Uh, in the journey ahead, um, instead of my master plan for my life, uh, I think I wanted to know what is master's plan for my life. Uh, I know Eva and I are open, uh, but we don't know to what or when or where or how long God will get, let us to do whatever and wherever. Uh, in many ways, I could still and maybe should do and accomplish much by staying at MIT, uh, doing what I am uh, reasonably good at and enjoy, and in many ways taking advantage of the influence and connections uh, and assets my job provides me. Uh, or, on the other hand, maybe we could learn to do new things uh, in new ways, uh, in new circumstances, uh, with in new environments. So, and regardless of what we do then, uh, after decades of hurried life with school and work and family, uh, this may also be a time and opportunity for deeper reflection and listening and recentering. So even I would be uh, going away on a year's sabbatical, um, leave starting in the fall, in September. Uh, I just want to take this opportunity to ask for your prayers for us. Thank you. So the question that Dick and Eva are asking for their lives is really the question that all of us need to be asking. And not just at the, no, toward the mid portion of our lives. <laughs> I almost said something else and Dick and I are the same age and, and I, I'm not at the end of my life yet, you know. One heart attack's not going to keep me down, boy. I got, go, I got miles to go before I sleep. So anyway, it's not something you would just ask in midlife. It's something we should be asking all through our lives. Our vocation is this. Our calling. Christ has called us to love and serve him. Now how can we do that in the midst of our secondary calling? Notice what Paul says. It's not that we're supposed to change. You know, uh, you know um, William Wilberforce faced this. As a young elite politician in the UK, he became a Christian. 
And he thought, oh, now that I'm a Christian, I should go into vocational ministry. And he had a talk with John Newton, the author of Amazing Grace. And John Newton said, no, we need you. We need Christian politicians. How can I as a Christian serve Christ as a politician? How can I serve Christ in finance and affect the direction of the, the lives of the people I work with, the, the, the company that I work for, maybe even the entire field? How can I change or influence how we do finance or accounting or engineering? But this is the, the fundamental question. And this is the point of 1 Corinthians 7, is that our, vo our vocations are the center of our lives if we define them pro appropriately. Because our central vocation life is to serve Jesus, to love him, to help others. And then the question becomes, how can that play out in what we do five or six days a week. So let me give you some illustrations. High schoolers, particularly those who are juniors this year and next year are going to be applying to college. Or, no, high schoolers who this year did or did, did not get into your reach school or your number one choice school. Is God calling us, any of us, to Harvard or Princeton or Yale or MIT or Stanford? Certainly he's not calling us to Caltech. But that's my payback for Dick being, anyway, uh, for Dick sharing, you know. Anyway, uh, not primarily, maybe secondarily, what's God's calling us to do? is to influence the lives wherever we go. And that should have some consideration in how we look at schools, not just for their standing in the U.S. News and World Report ratings, but when we interview at schools. When I took one of my sons away to visit a college, we wrote ahead to the campus, Christian campus staff and said, what's the fellowship like here? What's the environment like here? Uh, how can we be supported? How can my son be supported in his faith? How can he influence the environment for Jesus? And he had two choices. A radically wild school or a conservative Christian school. Either of them could have been legitimate places to influence Christ, influence the cause of Christ, influence in different directions. But as a feature, it's really the most pressing thing. Whether you get into a, a top-tier school or a third-tier school or don't even go to college at all, here's the thing. Not that. Everybody worries about that. Here's the focus. How can I serve Jesus? How can I serve others in this environment? When you choose a, a major... I know, your parents mean well, and, and I have respect for them because I wanted my sons to choose majors where they could get jobs and, and live. You know, have an income that they could live, you know. I don't want them to be wealthy. I don't care about that. But, you know, if they get a decent salary, they don't have to worry about how they're going to make ends meet. I would prefer that. I understand. I wanted my sons to be engineers. I understand what your parents are thinking. You know, I'm not Asian, and I still wanted my sons to be engineers. All right? <laughs> I'll tell you why I didn't want them to be medical doctors in a moment. But, but you know, they have good intentions. But it really needs... Why do we have so few Asian social workers? 
Or why are Asian? Why do we have? Why is it? Why do we have so many Caucasian pastors at Asian churches? I'm glad to be here, by the way. I hope I'm still here tomorrow. But you know, when you choose a major. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Think about vocational prospects. You don't want to come out. No, I discouraged my son. I hope I don't offend anybody from getting a history degree. Because I said, do you want to be a lawyer? Do you want to be a politician? Or do you want to be a professor or a school teacher? He said, no. I said, that don't. He was a natural for history. But I said, maybe you don't want to get a history degree if you don't want those four occupations. Because what are you going to do with it? But let's think about this. Our priority is not to have a high status. Jesus doesn't care about that. If you're a slave, don't let it worry you. If you can get better, do so. But if you're a slave, don't let it worry you, he said. How can you serve Jesus? How can you help other people? Again, I probably will offend some people. But one of my sons was thinking about med school because he liked biology. He was thinking about med school. And I said, do you want to be a slave for six or eight years? You know, Paul does say, were you a slave when you were called? Don't let it trouble you. But he also says, look, you were bought at a price. Do not become slaves of men. If you're gifted and you can get through med school without spending 80 hours a week studying, and then you can get through residency without spending 120 hours on the job, if you, whatever your career is, it doesn't have to be med school, that's just one notorious example. Any career, if, if to get into that college and stay in, if to get into that college you have to spend so much time in high school studying that you have no time for ministry, no time for your walk with Christ, then that is not God's calling for you. And the same thing applies to med school. Or if you're in mid-career and, and you want to, you've got to keep moving ahead or else you're going to fall back and you're, you're worried about advancement. And so you work longer hours or you go get it back to school and get a second degree. If you have to drop ministry, if you have to stop, drop, you know, if you, your family has to suffer. If you don't have time to with a full, steady walk with God and steady service of God because you're working so hard to get ahead, that's not God's calling for you. If you're gifted and you can do all that and sail through, by all means, God rewards initiative. God encourages ambition. But this is the ambition he encourages most of all, that we could be faithful to him and effective for him, whatever vocation we're in. And if you're mid-career and you think, well, I'm going to have to get an MBA, but you've got young kids and you've got a demanding job and you don't know if you can juggle all these things and still stay engaged with God in your personal life and stay engaged with people in ministry, seriously think about that. God has a call for your life. But his call for your life is that you serve Christ and serve others wherever you are. That's his primary call. At most, all these other things are a secondary call. They're not, they must never be the central priority. Jesus is our central priority. And serving him in other people's lives. Let's pray together. 
Father, you were so faithful to us in Christ. He lived and he died for us. Help us, Father, that we might always live for him in whatever circumstances we find ourselves. In his name we pray. Amen.